Genesis chapter 39, we're looking at the life of Joseph, the life of integrity. We saw last week his integrity in the trials, the troubles of his early life. And often our commitment to integrity will be tested by the events going on in our lives. In chapter 39, we see Joseph's integrity in temptation. Now, there's probably a few perfect people here this morning who've never faced or yielded to temptation. But please bear with the rest of us because the rest of us have experienced temptation at some point or another. Some of you faced it this morning when you woke up. You were tempted to go back to bed instead of coming to church. Uh, I didn't get much out of you. I didn't expect that it would. That hit home a little too close to home. Some of you faced temptation on your way to church. You were tempted to um, argue and fight with your spouse or your children. I used to watch every Sunday in our church. They had glass windows, and I would see the vehicles pull up, and I could tell what was going on in the conversations in the cars. And it wasn't, bless you, wife, or bless you, husband. They were being blessed out, I think. And then they'd come through the doors, and the smiles came on. And the, good morning, Pastor. It's so good to see you this morning. And so we were tempted. Some of you are tempted to be distracted during the service, but I know that you're not going to yield to that temptation. You're going to listen to the Word of God. Amen? That's uh, the rest of you that I'm worried about. But we face temptation. Everybody faces temptation. Even Jesus Christ, when he was on this earth, faced temptation. And if you think that you will not be tempted, you are tempting Satan to tempt you because you're the one that's susceptible to it. Jesus, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, was tempted in all points, like as we are, yet without sin. And so as we look at this example of Joseph this morning, we see him in a time of temptation. We see him as he's been sold into slavery into Egypt. When the Ishmaelite traders and the, the merchants bring him into Egypt, they sell him to a man who probably has a good eye for a good worker, and he sees Joseph. The Bible says that he was a goodly man and that he was well-favored. He was a strong young man, and he probably had a very intelligent face. And so Potiphar, who is one of the officers in Pharaoh's government, he is the head of security in Pharaoh's government, he looks at Joseph and he says, there's a man that I can use. And so he purchases Joseph as a slave. Joseph is brought into Potiphar's house. In this chapter, as we would read through it, we would find that God begins to bless Joseph, and God begins to bless Potiphar's house because of Joseph. This tells us something about the character of Joseph's life. It tells us that he was a man who was honest. It tells us he was a man who could be trusted. It tells us something about his integrity. But yet that integrity will be tested as he begins to prosper and God begins to prosper Potiphar's family and house because of it. Potiphar begins to elevate Joseph. He gives him a promotion. He places him over his entire estate. In fact, the Bible says that he trusted Joseph so much, and Joseph was doing such a great job, that Potiphar, the only concern he had was that there was food on his plate. If you've ever had a teenager growing up in your home, you probably have a similar sense of someone who doesn't really care about a lot else except that they, as long as they get fed and get the things they want, they're doing pretty good. And Potiphar was that way. Potiphar was satisfied. He trusted Joseph with everything. He didn't check his bank account. He didn't check, go online and check his finances and his investments. He trusted Joseph with this. Why? Because Joseph was a man who was a man of integrity. And then this test comes, this temptation comes. 
when he elevates him, she's never noticed him before, she's never paid any attention to him before, but Potiphar's wife notices this nice-looking young man, and so she begins to tempt him, and she says, come, lie with me. And Joseph immediately refuses. The Bible says Joseph refused to do so. He didn't just flirt and smile and walk away and sort of think in his mind about that temptation. You see, sometimes we dally with temptation. We turn from it, but we begin to ponder the possibility of it. What becomes a possibility in your mind may soon become a probability in your flesh. Be careful what temptation you entertain. Be careful where you let your mind go whether it's in sexual temptation or whether it's in anger, whether it's in bitterness, whether it's in gossip. Be careful. The, the possibilities draw strong lines and boundaries on what you will allow in your mind. And Joseph does that. Joseph refused. But like most temptation, most temptation is not just one time. You know this. You say no to temptation and, boy, wouldn't it be nice wouldn't it be nice if after we said no to temptation, it never came back? That's the end of it. But what happens? It's sort of like those calls you get on your phone, and you wish that they, you, you block them, and yet what happens? You still keep getting those calls over and over. They still keep knocking on your door. They still won't leave you alone. And day after day, she continues to tempt Joseph and try to entice him into sin. Finally, one day, he goes into the house, and Joseph continues. In fact, Joseph says some pretty strong things about this. He says, look, my master has entrusted me with everything in his possession except you because he's your, you're his wife. Why should I do this terrible sin? How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And so finally, one day, he comes into the house to take care of things that he has to take care of. Despite his best efforts, there's temptation. And let me just pause a minute and say that despite your best efforts, we should eliminate temptation from our life as much as possible. But despite our best efforts, we will face temptation. And he goes into the house, and she invites him, entices him one more time. She grabs a hold of his cloak, his clothing, and he pulls away and he runs away, and she holds it in her hand. And then she cries out to the, ser the other servants and calls them in, and she says, Joseph tried to force himself on me. Look what this servant that my husband has brought in has done. When, his hu when her husband gets home, Potiphar gets home, she tells the same story. And the Bible says he was very angry. If this was true, he had right to be angry. One of the great tests of our integrity... One of the great tests of you doing what's right is when people do wrong to you. You see, it sometimes becomes easy when someone has done wrong to us that we justify acting wrong toward them. But my responsibility is not to that person. My responsibility is to God. And God has not changed, and that's where integrity comes in play. And Joseph ends up in the king's prison as one of the political prisoners. And if you know this, this time and this culture... This was one of the things that you just didn't get out of. If you got out of it, it wasn't really usually a good thing. Later, Joseph will have two roommates, and, and one of those doesn't come out very well. He gets out of prison, but it comes out to have his head chopped off. 
integrity in the time of temptation. When you are tempted, and you will be tempted, when you are tempted, will you have integrity? What is it that the Bible tells us about integrity? Remember that the Bible gives us these examples for our admonition. There are really four things that are necessary for an effective temptation. I don't know if you all can see this very well or not. Most of you can see what it is. This is a, a crocodile spoon. There's no crocodiles harmed in the making of it, apparently. But it's a, it's a fishing lure. Now, it doesn't look like much to me. It's not very attractive. It's nice and shiny. I like the appearance of it, but I'm really not tempted to take a bite out of it. But for it to be a temptation, there has to be an attractive bait. There has to be something that catches the eye. There are those who will say, there's no pleasure in sin. You won't find that in the Word of God. In fact, you'll find in the book of Hebrews where he speaks about Moses who chose to suffer with the children of God and the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Sin would not be tempting if it wasn't an attractive bait. Certainly Joseph is attracted here. He's a young man. Here's a beautiful woman. And he is attracted. Certainly there is something to appeal to that, to appeal to his flesh. What is the bait that the, that the world or that Satan lays in front of us? Well, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16 makes that clear. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. This world is filled with things to tempt us. And he says three things. He says, there is the lust of the flesh. What is the lust of the flesh? The lust of the flesh is about doing it is a temptation to do something that we know we should not do. It is to do something that God has commanded us not to do. Certainly, Joseph is tempted here with the lust of the flesh. Our temptation will come from one or all of these. All temptations fall into these elements. Or maybe there are sometimes a combination. Maybe there are some of two or some of all three or sometimes they're one or the other. But all of the temptation is in this. And the lust of the flesh is about doing. We will be tempted to do something that is clearly contrary to the Word of God. And we can make all the rationalizations and the arguments we want to. We can blame other people. I am sick to the top of my head with myself and others that I know that when we sin, we blame it on other people. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. When Adam said, Lord, that woman that you gave me, he was blaming Eve and he was blaming God. And then Eve said, well, it was the serpent that beguiled me. We always want to blame someone else. We were talking about this, Lynn and I were just talking about this last night, a situation where you just do wrong, but can always find somebody else to excuse and to blame. The lust of the flesh is doing. Then he says the lust of the eyes. This is about seeing something and having to have it. Achan committed this sin when he looked at the goodly Babylonian garment and the wealth, and he, he said, I must have that. You'll be tempted with possessing something. That's what was, Joseph was tempted with here. He says, Your, my master has put all his possessions under my care. I have a, but except you, he's, you're his wife. This is something, oh, if I could possess that and if, it, if I could have her. And then the pride of life. 
pride of life is about being, about accomplishing, about this is what I have done. It's the same three temptations here. It's the same temptations with Eve in the Garden of Eden. The, pride, the, the lust of the flesh, the food tasted, the fruit tasted good. The, the lust of the eyes, it was good to be desired. And you'll be as gods, doing and having and being. As we'll see in a moment, it's the same temptations, but Satan, Satan has no new strategies. It's the same temptation that he'll use with Jesus in the temptation in the wilderness. But there's an attractive bait. There's the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. We're tempted by what we can't have. We think we want it. Boy, if I could just have that. Have you ever noticed that with kids? Have you ever noticed that some kids are not selfish and about toys until they see a, another kid with that toy? And then suddenly, oh, I wanted that. But you weren't playing with that. Yeah, but I want it now. They're playing with it. And we're the same way. We see something somebody else has. Sometimes we're tempted when we're in unfamiliar circumstances. Here's Joseph in an unfamiliar circumstance. He's away from his family. He's away from the social restraints of being Jacob's son. He's away from the teachings of God to his people. In these unfamiliar circumstances, sometimes we're tempted when things are going well. Things are finally going well for Joseph. He's been sold as a slave, but now he's prospering. Sometimes we're tempted by that which is attractive to us. But there also has to be a convenient opportunity. There has to be, it has to be in the right place. Right here in this place, as I'm holding this, this lure is not going to catch any fish. With my fishing skill, it's probably never going to catch any fish, but that's another story altogether. But it's not going to catch any fish. Why? It's not in the right place. It has to be in the right place. Satan knows the places and the times when we are most vulnerable to temptation. He is a roaring lion, roaming about, seeking whom he may devour. What did Jesus say to Peter? Peter, I have prayed for you because Satan has desired to sift you as sweet. Let me say to our students and say to adults as well, be careful when you are in moments and places where you can be tempted to sin. Don't open yourself up to those. There's enough temptation in this life without, without giving Satan an advantage. We're tempted often when we're spiritually weak, and sometimes we're tempted when we're physically weak. It's not that being tired is a sin, but sometimes our guard is down when we're tired. Think about 2 Samuel chapter 11, the life of David and his temptation. David is the king, and it's his job to lead the people in the battle. But what has David done nearly all his life? Since he was a young man, he was a warrior. He's been in battle. And in 2 Samuel chapter 11, it says, in the time of year that king, it came to pass in the time of year that kings go forth to battle, that David tarried st still at Jerusalem, that Joab led the people into battle, but David stays home. Why? Because he's weary. He's physically tired. And what is he set up for? In the evening, he needs to rest. So he walks out on the roof of his house, and he looks across, and he's tempted by a neighbor who is taking a bath, and he commits an egregious sin against that neighbor and against her husband and against God and against Israel. Why? Because he was vulnerable in a time when he was physically tired. Satan knows, and if he can't catch us in the time when we're weak, he will try to wear us down day by day. 
The temptation kept coming. It kept coming. When did Satan come to tempt Jesus? After 40 days of fasting. Convenient opportunity. But there's something else with this temptation that I've been very careful to try to keep from sticking in my finger. Y'all don't need me saying things from this pulpit that what I would say if I jabbed myself. Y'all see what that is? It's called a treble hook. It's not a single hook. It's got three on there. Just in case that fish doesn't get one of them, he's going to get one of the three. Sometimes he's going to get all three if his mouth's big enough. Isn't it amazing how big mouths can get you in trouble? Just throwing that out there. It's got a sharp hook. We need to remember the sharp hook of sin. James chapter 1 says, Lust, when it hath conceived, bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth what? Death. Death is the result of sin. What is the sharp hook of sin? Well, there really is a treble hook of that. Our sin is against others. Joseph says, how can I commit this against my master? How can I commit this against you? Is really some of what he's saying. Sin is also against ourselves. How can I do this? It's not just the bad consequences that will come because I've sinned. It is sinning against my soul. But above all else, when we can't see or understand how sin is sin against others or how sin is against ourselves, first and foremost, sin is against Almighty God. Look at what Joseph says in verse 9. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? We live in a day and a time when people want to evaluate what is sinful by the harm it might bring to others. And they'll say things like this. They'll say, well, it doesn't hurt anybody. It doesn't matter if I can't see one bit of harm to myself or I can't see one bit of harm to another in my actions. I have sinned against God, and that is sin. That's the sharp hook of sin. We need to remind ourselves of that sharp hook. What are the consequences of our sin? Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Back in the 1970s, I really date myself with some of this stuff, don't I? There was an actor by the name of Iron Eyes Cody. Any of y'all remember Iron Eyes Cody? You might remember a famous commercial that he was in. He was a Native American actor, and as he was paddling down the river with pollution in the water, and a, one single tear came down his cheek because he was bothered by it. In an interview with a magazine, he told a story that came from Indian lore, Native American lore, about a young man who went out into the wilderness to prove his manhood for his, his test to be a man. The young man went out into the wilderness, and he was in a valley, and he spent several days there by himself, testing his strength, testing his skill to provide for himself, doing all the things that were a part of the test. And then he looked, and he saw a, a high mountain, and he said to himself, I'm going to challenge myself. This will be the great challenge. I'll challenge myself with this mountain. And so he very laboriously climbed that high mountain. When he got up to the top of the mountain, there was a small meadow there. And as he walked into this meadow, there was a snake, a poisonous snake in that meadow. As he looked at it, the snake 
asked him, he said, it's very cold here and it's too cold for me. Will you please take me back down to lower ground? And the young man said, no, I've been warned about you. I know what will happen if I touch you. You'll bite me and you're poisonous. You'll kill me. And the snake said, no, no, no. If you help me out, I'll, I'll leave you alone. I'll treat you differently. I won't harm you. And so the young man took the snake up in his hands and he climbed back down the mountain and he brought him back down to that valley. And he put him down on the ground and as soon as he put him down on the ground, the snake turned and bit him in the leg. And as he was dying, the young man looked at the snake and he said, you promised, you said that you wouldn't hurt me. As the snake slithered away, he said, you knew what I was when you picked me up. I want to tell you something. We know what sin is, and we better know what sin is when we start playing with it because it has a sharp, sharp hook. But there's one last thing that is necessary for a temptation. There has to be an attractive bait. There has to be the opportunity, the convenient opportunity. There has to be the sharp hook to catch what is being baited. But there also has to be a hungry fish. When my brother and I were young, I remember fishing on a pond, not real far from here, actually. And in this pond, the water was very clear. And we always, man, if we could catch fish. My, now, my brother is a, he is a fisherman. I don't claim to be a fisherman. I like to fish, but I'm not a fisherman. He can fish all day. And I can say, did you have a good day? Of oh, man, it was a great day. I had six bites. I'm like, that's not, that's not a good day of fishing. He just loves to be out fishing. But we would fish, we fished in this pond several times, and in this pond were some of the biggest bass that I have ever seen in my life. But those bass just refused to take my, my bait. I mean, you, we tried everything. We'd throw worms, live worms in front of them. We'd put plastic worms in front of them. We did a little short of jumping in the water and bitting them in the head with a baseball bat. I mean, it was, we did everything we could. And I've seen those fish just sit there and have a lure just drawn over their, their face, and they just they didn't take anything. Why? Because they weren't hungry. You have to have somebody that's hungry. You have to have something that's hungry to actually take the bait, to be drawn to it. There has to be some desire. It may be physical hunger, or it may be the desire to just take what looks shiny and good, but there's some desire there. And yet in this story of Joseph, we see here's a young man who in spite of every reason to take this bait, he doesn't. He refused. And he says, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to sin against myself. I'm not going to sin against others. And I'm not going to sin against God. I would remind you that Joseph's victory over temptation points us to a greater victory over temptation. Remember that any example that we look at in scriptures... Always, if there's anything that's good, if there's anything that's righteous, if there's anything that's noble and noteworthy, it always points us to who? It points us to Jesus. And who is the great victor over temptation? The great victory over temptation, of course, is Christ. And he begins his ministry. In the Gospels, we read about his victory over temptation. So how do we, how do we keep from being hungry fish? How do we fight against the temptation? How do we find deliverance? I firmly believe that if a person is truly saved, 
I'm not saying they can't enjoy the sin. I know that there's a convicting Holy Spirit within them that is saying, don't give in to this. And there's a part of them, there's that new man, that spiritual birth that is saying, you don't want to do this. And sometimes even when they're committing the sin, they are feeling that conviction, conviction of the Holy Spirit. How do, we, how do we have victory? How can we fight this? It's all in Jesus. I want you to see five things this morning from Jesus' example. You know the story. You know that Jesus, was tempt- Jesus fasted for 40 days. Jesus went to John to be baptized. He comes up out of the water, and the Spirit descends on him like a dove, and he is led of the Spirit into the wilderness where he fasts for 40 days. And at the end of the 40 days, Satan comes to tempt him. And his temptations are exactly the same that Adam and Eve faced in the garden, that Joseph faced here, that you and I will face. And that is the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And how did Jesus win? How did Jesus have the victory? First of all, I want you to remember the principle that God gives us against temptation, and that is the principle of sonship. Jesus was the Son of God. You say, wait a minute, that makes it happen. Hey, that means, unless I'm God, how am I going to get the victory over sin? Jesus could not sin because he was God. Jesus won over temptation, not merely because he was God, but because he was a man who was completely under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. He was acting as a Son of God. Why? Because he was the firstborn of many brethren. When I trusted Christ as my Savior, when you trusted Christ as your Savior, you became a child of God. And the first, the first barrier, the first wall of defense that we have against temptation is that we are sons and daughters of God. Jesus was the Son of God. There's also the principle of submission. Jesus was completely submitted to the will of the Father. He would pray that in the garden, not my will, but yours be done. Father, whatever, I have, I have done your work. I have done your will. I do the will of the Father. These are the, that submission. We're not going to have victory over sin until we are submitted to God. God, all that I am and I have are yours. There's the principle of the being filled with the Spirit. Jesus, when he comes up out of the water at the baptism, the Holy Spirit descends on him. And he is led of the Spirit into the wilderness. What is it that enables him as a human being who is touched in all points like as we are. He was touched in the point of the lust of the flesh and the point of the lust of the eyes and the point of the pride of life. But what was it that enabled him? It was the Holy Spirit that enabled him to respond to temptation. And who is the Holy Spirit in today? He is inside of every believer who's placed their faith and trust in Christ. Everything that I have to resist temptation... The Holy Spirit is there to empower me to do. A fourth thing that Jesus tells us and shows us, you know this, what did Jesus use to fight Satan's temptation? With every one, he quoted scripture. The word of God is the weapon of our warfare. And the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they are not fleshly, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. You have a stronghold of temptation in your life this morning. God has given you the weapons you need to tear it down brick by brick and remove it and gain that territory back from Satan. 
There are those who have given place to the devil, and they have opened their mind to temptation, and they have opened their mind to sin, and then they wonder why it's so hard for them to battle and take that back. But God has given us his word, and he has given us his spirit to accomplish that task. You can have victory. You don't have to yield to temptation. We have the Spirit. We have the Scriptures. But another thing that I see in the life of Jesus is the principle of satisfaction. Being satisfied with what God has. You see, temptation is always an offer of something we think we don't have that we think we have to have. But if I'm satisfied, there's nothing tempting about it. Now, there's probably one or two things in my life that would probably tempt me. No matter how full of food I am, bacon always looks good to me. But you know, even your favorite food doesn't look as as appealing when you're full as it does when you're hungry. When I'm satisfied, it's hard for Satan to tempt me with something that's just not nearly as good. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. The surest way to triumph over temptation is to find a deeper satisfaction in the infinite joy of grace. That is why Jesus is at the center of it all. That's why a temptation should point us not to the sin, not to our own willpower, not to our own strength. It ought to point us to Jesus. He's the one that conquered sin. He's the one that shows us the way to conquer sin. And he's the one that enables us to conquer temptation and sin. Jesus, he's the, he's the one that's to be magnified. That's why we turn our eyes upon Jesus. Look, when you're saturated with the word of God and you're filled with the spirit and you're submitted to God and you're satisfied with who God is and wh- what he has done and who Jesus is to us, when we are, have those things, that loses its appeal. It no longer looks good. It no longer tastes good. The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life that temptation begins to lose its power. Temptations lose their power when thou art nigh, the song says. Staying close to Jesus, keeping our minds on him, keeping our hearts on him. It is hard for your mind to consistently ponder temptation when your mind is pondering the glory of Jesus Christ. When you're thinking about all that we have in Jesus, when you're pondering and thinking and meditating on the glory of Christ. When you're reading the scriptures, it's hard for lustful thoughts to find ground when you're looking at the word of God and you're reading the word of God. It's hard for anger to find its place when you're fighting it with the scriptures. It's hard for greed and envy and covetousness to find place in your heart when you're satisfied with Jesus Christ. And he is all that we have and all that we need. This is our, this is our way. Look, Satan's got an attractive lure. He's got an attractive appeal. He's got something for every one of us that will draw us. He'll have it at the right place and the right time. And I can guarantee you it's going to have a sharp hook. But we don't have to yield to that. Aren't you glad we are not at the mercy of the deceiver? Aren't you glad that we are not at the mercy of the enemy? We have a Lord, we have a Savior, Jesus Christ, and he is the one that gives in him we have the victory. You can experience that victory this morning. This morning, you may not know that principle of sonship. Maybe there's never been a time in your life that you've trusted Christ as your Savior. 
There's never been a time when you've said, God, I realize that I'm a sinner and I can't save myself, but you died for me and I trust you for my salvation. You've repented of your sins and you've placed your faith in Christ. I want you to know this morning you can do that right now. You can do it right where you're sitting. You can come to this front and if you don't understand, we can talk with you and explain and show you more about how you can trust Christ. And you can become a son or a daughter of God. If you have done that, you need to be submitted to God. Is every area of your life submitted? Don't be surprised when you sin, when you have not submitted that area to God. Filled with the Spirit, fighting with the Scriptures, and fully satisfied with Jesus Christ. This morning, I don't know what's going on in your heart and life. There may be somebody here this morning that's really being tempted with bitterness and anger. Somebody has done something to you, and you are angry, and you are fighting that battle, and that temptation is strong. I want you to know that you can find victory in Jesus. Maybe this morning there's someone who's dealing with lustful thoughts. Your mind is filled with it. You've seen things you shouldn't see, and every time you close your eyes, you just it floods back in. Maybe, maybe it's anger. Maybe it's tempting being tempted to lie. Maybe there's a situation on your job where you're tempted to unethical behavior. You're tempted to cheat the boss, or you're tempted to lie to someone. I don't know what you might be fighting or facing. Every one of us is facing something. Every one of us will be tempted. But none of us, none of us have to take the bait. None of us have to suffer from the hook of sin. A life of integrity when it comes to temptation. We have victory in Jesus. Who shall deliver us from this wretched man of sin that we are? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, thank you that we have the victory. And Jesus has modeled it for us. Jesus has provided it for us. Lord, the victory that Joseph experienced, the victory that Jesus experienced, is the victory that we can experience. And so, Father, I pray for all of us. Every one of us has a sin that does so easily beset us. Help us to lay it aside. Help us to be so satisfied with you that we find our deepest satisfaction. And Lord, the world and temptation has nothing to appeal to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. We're going to stand to, the, to our feet with our heads bowed and eyes closed. God is speaking your heart this morning. Maybe, maybe it's something that you're battling. Maybe you have